Pashas Vayaitzi begins Vayaitzi Yaakov with Beersheva. Yaakov leaves Beersheva. Now we know that the point of the parish is to tell us about Yaakov's journey to Haran and everything that happened to Yaakov when he was in Haran, in the house of Lavan. Not only that, we've already heard in the previous pasuk, at the end of the previous parasha, that Yaakov leaves Beersheba. He's running for his life because there's a fear that Esav wants to kill him. So why does the pasuk repeat again that Yaakov leaves Beersheba? The Midrash, Chazal, were bothered by this, and they add an explanation. They say, because when a tzaddik leaves the city, the ziv, the splendor, the light of the city leaves, the hodor, the beauty of the city leaves. This isn't the only time that we find in Chazal that they make this observation. There's another time as well. And that is in Megillas Rus, when we told the story that Naomi and her daughter Norus left the fields of Moab to return to Hebron, to return to Eretz Yisrael. There too, the Apostle says that they, they left the fields of Moab, and there too Chazal points out that when the Tzadik leaves the city, so the beauty and the light and the hoid of the city leave as well. And the question is, these aren't the only times that we find that Tzadikim left the city. Avram traveled a lot. And we don't find in other cases that Chazal make the statement. Why specifically by Yaakov leaving Haran or by Rus and Nomi leaving the fields of Moab are the places where Chazal found it fitting to point out to us that the departure of a tzaddik from the city makes an impression on the city. And the answer is we need to look at the circumstances in which Yaakov left Beersheba. Yaakov left in the dark of night. Yaakov left under a veil of secrecy. That Esau shouldn't find out that he's left. Similarly, when Nami and Rus leave the fields of Moab, they were paupers that nobody noticed, nobody paid attention to. There was no major fanfare. There was no major departure ceremony when they left town. No one knew. Whereas in Avram Avinu, who was a wealthy man, and he moved his camp, so it meant his flocks, it meant his servants, it meant a major procession of people leaving town. Avram was well respected. The locals of whatever place it would have been would have gathered to wish him good, good farewell. And if that's the case, the fact that the Tariq who leaves and that departure is well known, the fact that it makes a difference to the place that he left is obvious. The Chiddush that we're being taught is that even when nobody knows that the Tariq has left, he left in darkness, he left in secrecy. And therefore one would think that it didn't make any difference, it didn't impact 
on the lives of the people that he left behind. That's where Chazal see fit him to teach us that the, the, when a tzaddik leaves a city, it's Oseh Roshim, it makes an impression. They might not have seen the tzaddik leave, but his absence is very, very tangible. But now let's look what Chazal say. Chazal say that when a tzaddik leaves a city, the ziv, the light of the city, and the hoid, and the hodor, the beauty of the city, leave too. We know that Chazal are very exact in their expressions. They chose carefully the words they wanted to say. And if so, we need to understand what are these three adjectives used to describe the being of a tzaddik in the city. The nature of the city when the tzaddik is there. That it causes ziv, it causes light, it causes beauty and it causes hood. Which we'll still explain. So to explain these three terms that Chazal use, let's first see what the tzaddik contributes to the city that he's in. And I'd like to start with a story. It's a story I read and written by a certain American rav called Rav Yehuda Davis, who, as a Talmud in Yeshiva, learned in the Tel's Yeshiva in Europe. And in the late 1920s, he was returning to America. But he decided that en route to America, he was going to make a detour to go through the village of Radin and try to get a bracha from the Chavetz Chaim. He makes the extra journey. He arrives in Radin and he's Zaycha. He has a tremendous schus to be given a, a few moments to speak to the Chavetz Chaim. And the Chavetz Chaim asks him, he says, Bracha, where are you going to? He says, I'm traveling back to New York. And he asks him, is New York a big city? And the Bacha says, yes, Rabbi, it's an enormous city. One of the biggest cities in the world. And the Chafet Chaim asks him, where are you coming from? So he tells him, I'm coming from the village of Tells. I was in the Tells Yeshiva. And the Chavit Chaim presses him further. And he says, and tell me, is Tells a big city? And the Talmud says, no, it's a small village. With a few streets that are not even paved. So the Chavit Chaim looks at him and he says, that's the way you see it. But you should know that in Shemaim it's the other way around. In Shemaim, Tells is a metropolis. That's a place where there are 500 people learning Torah. That's a big city. New York, which was the New York of the 1920s, where there may be a handful of Jews learning Torah. So in the, in the view of Shemaim, that's the little village. What a tremendous insight. But I'd like to explain it in my own words. When one travels... By plane at night, and one looks down, you just see black, you just see darkness. But when the tra- plane travels over a place which is built up, so you'll see lights. And depending how big the place is, is the amount of lights you'll see. If you see a few scattered lights, you know you're traveling over a very small village. 
But if you see a tremendous area lit up, very brightly, you know you're traveling over a very big city. Because of a big city, there's so much more lights. There's so many more street lights. There's so much, so much, of, much, of, so much of a big area. And therefore, if one can judge the size of a city by the lights that one can see from the sky. But that's for us people. And we notice the lights of neon, the light, the spotlights. And by that we judge the size of a city. But when HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks from Shemaim, and he's looking to see the size of the city, so what does he look at? The lights of the city. That's the Torah are. Those are the lights of how many people are learning Torah in that city. And in a city like Tells, where there are hundreds of Bakram learning Torah, so that glows very brightly on the heavenly map. Whereas a place where there are only a few and far between people who are involved in Torah study, it doesn't make a difference how many people are their neighbors in that place. But there are only very few lights being produced. And therefore looking down from Shemaim, it looks like a little village. It's a tremendous insight, this story. But it gives us our first clue to understanding Chazal. What is the ziv? What is the light of the city? The light of the city is the Torah or the Torah that's being learned there. And therefore, when a tzaddik leaves the city, so then that light moves to whichever new location he happens to be in. And his previous location loses its light. When Yaakov moves to Choron, then the spotlight of Shemaim is now focused on Choron. And indeed, Yaakov tells us at the beginning of Precious of Yishlech, For 20 years I lived with Lavan. V'tariag mitzvah shemarti. Throughout I was learning Torah. Yaakov, the tzaddik, continued to be a source of Torah study, of learning. But that light no longer shone in Beersheba. That light now shone in Haran. And therefore the first point we see is that when a Talmud Chacham leaves the city, when a tzaddik leaves town, that town has less light. And it gets regarded as a smaller place from the perspective of Shammai. The Mishnah says in Megillah that a big city is a city where 10 people are learning Torah. That's producing light. That makes it into a big city. That's the first aspect of what gets lost to a city when a tzaddik leaves. Let's now look to see the second. Pano Hadara. The beauty of the city leaves too. What does the Torah mean by the beauty of a city? Not the monuments and the parks. Not the architecture and the buildings. What does the Torah refer to by the beauty of a city? So to explain that, let's look at the Pasuk, which will come in a parish in a few weeks' time. At the beginning of Parashat Miketz, Pari has a dream. 
And Pharaoh's dream is important because it portends what's going to happen in the future to Egypt. And therefore the dream is meant to convey to Pharaoh that there are going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh dreams, and in his dream he sees seven cows, fat cows, followed by seven thin cows. Fat cows are a symbol of prosperity. The cows will have enough to eat, they'll grow fat. Those are the years of plenty, the years of satiety. And thin cows or hungry cows are cows which represent the years of poverty, of famine, when they'll be going hungry. And that will explain to us very well what the vision that Paris saw had to be. And yet, if we look at the Pasuk, we'll see another adjective being used to describe the cows. The Pasuk says that Paris saw in his dream seven cows, Yefois mare, Obriois Bosar. Yefois mare are beautiful cows. Obriois Bosar, fat, healthy cows. What would be missing in the Pasuk if the cows were just referred to as being fat? What's being added? By describing them as beautiful. And we can ask more. What does it mean a beautiful cow? What's beautiful about a cow? Chazal had this question. And therefore Chazal explained to us. It's brought in Rashi. And Chachamim tell us. That it was a sign to the years of plenty. Because when people have a lot. So, People's eyes are beautiful to each other. When there's plenty, when there's extra, when there's bracha, people are more encouraged to be generous, to be giving, to do chesed, to share what they have. And that's called beautiful. To show the cows are fat shows that people have enough for themselves. To show the cows are beautiful is that people have enough that they can be beautiful to. Be beautiful means to chesed. Share what they have. That's what's looked at as being beautiful. We're coming up to Hanukkah and we always talk about the beauty of Yefes. The beauty of Greece. The beauty of Greece is something physical in nature. It's in form and it's in fashion and it's in sculpture. And it's in contrast of scenes. Whereas the beauty of the Torah is the beauty of one's actions, the beauty of one's midas, the beauty of one's chesed. That's what's looked at as being beautiful. And therefore coming back to our discussion, a second element of what a tzaddik adds to the city is he's somebody who's interested in doing chesed to the city. Somebody who's looking for ways to benefit the city. And that has a chain effect. It sets in motion a progression where other people are generous to each other as well. And therefore the efforts of the tzaddik in the city make the city into a beautiful city. 
It becomes a place where chesed is paramount. It becomes a place where people look to help each other. And when the Tariq leaves the city, so then that beauty leaves too. When there isn't the driving force looking to do chesed, and chesed ceases to be a priority, the city is no longer beautiful. And we see this also in the life of Yaakov Avin. It says in Vashas Yishlach, when Yaakov eventually returns to Eretz Yisrael, he settles on the outskirts of Shechem, Vayikin es What did he do there? The Gemara says he set up marketplaces. He made a currency. And what was the point of that? Yaakov wasn't in, an integral part of the city of Shechem. He was a visitor to the city. But he was a tzaddik. And therefore he was looking for ways to benefit the people around him. And we see that in a story in the Gemara. The stories in the Gemara of Shabbos and the Flamagil on base. Everybody knows the first part of the story. Not so many people know the second. The Gemara there is relating the story of Rav Shimon Bar Yechai. The great Tana who spent 13 years in a cave. And then in the cave he reached the greatest heights of Chochmah. He was taught the whole Zayar. And he emerges from the cave on a very exalted spiritual level. That part of the story we all know. The Gemara continues. The first city that he went to was the city of Tveria. And Rosh Hashanah says, when Yaakov came to the city of Shechem, he looked for ways to be a benefactor for the city. What could he do to do chesed to the people of the city? I too want to do something to benefit the people of Tveria. Rav Shemabayichai, who had been in solitude, had been on his own with his son in the cave for 13 years, grew exceedingly great in Torah. But he did not have opportunities to do chesed. And therefore coming out of the cave and being in a place where he was able to interact with the Jews around him, he looks first and foremost, what's the way I can do chesed? What can I do to help the city I'm in? That's the second feature of a tzaddik. He becomes the beauty of the city. He becomes the one who does chesed with the city. And like we said, it makes the city into a beautiful city. Because that sets the cat in progress. A concept of people doing chesed and they'll continue to do chesed to each other as well. Let's understand something deeper with this. We see three times in Parashas Vayetze that Yaakov gives long speeches. The first time is to Lavan when he wants to go back home after 14 years and Lavan's trying to convince him to stay. And he describes to Lavan the tremendous effort he's putting into his work and how hard he's making sure to do Lavan a service. The second time is when he's told to go back to Canaan so he calls his wives, Rachel and Leah, to talk to him in the field. And he tells them, You know how your fathers tried to cheat me? But I saw my lochim coming from Shemaim. And they were the ones who were helping me do what I needed to do. And the third time, 
is that no one catches up to him and accuses him of having stolen. Once again, Yaakov gives Lovin a big drasha. In many psukim, how honest he was, how hard he worked, how much mysterious nefesh was in the job, how he suffered the cold of night and the heat of day. And we want to understand what's Yaakov doing. And we need to understand something. Yaakov came to Haran as a tzaddik. He came into Lovin's household. He's a tzaddik. And therefore he's looking to do good. He's looking to help Lovin. Lovon is such a selfish, self-centered person. He always thinks Yaakov is the same. He always thinks Yaakov is out to get him, to steal from him, to cheat him. And that's so much not the case. Yaakov tries time and again to tell Lovin, Lovin, you're making a mistake. I'm not trying to cheat you. I'm not trying to take away anything which is yours. On the contrary, look how much chesed I'm doing for you. Look how much effort I'm putting into being good to you. And Yaakov wishes Lovin would see that. That Yaakov is a tzaddik, is a benefactor. He's coming to help Lovin. Lovin, because he himself is so bent on trying to take from everybody else, never sees in Yaakov the amount of dedication and effort that Yaakov put into helping him love him. He never realized all the chesed Yaakov was trying to do for him. But that's the nature of a tzaddik. A place where a tzaddik is, is a place where there's chesed. Spearheaded by the tzaddik himself. That's the beauty of the city. And this brings us to the last point. The hoid of the city. Now the word hoid is hard to translate. It's usually translated as splendor. Which we want to know what that means too. I think we better to describe it in the context of where it's used. And we talk about hoid in the context of the avoid of the Besamekdash. Which means that we as people have to serve Hashem. And in response to our service, HaKadosh Baruch Hu showers bracha on us. The more we serve Hashem, whether it's through the Korbanus in the Beis HaMikdash, or through our Tfilis, or through our Mitzvahs, that sets in place a process which Hashem responds to by giving us bracha. That's the concept of heart. That's why the mid of Aaron the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, the, the, in the, each generation he was the ultimate servant of Hashem, is the mid of Hoyt. The Beis Hamedish is called the Beis Hoydi, the house of my Hod. That serves as the conduit for our service through the Korbanus to reach heaven, and likewise for the Bracha, the blessing Hashem sent down to reach us. And that's the third aspect. A person who serves Hashem. A person who davens. He gets given bracha. But it's not just the individual. The place gets given bracha. Any place where Hashem's name is besieged, people call out to him. He blesses the place with blessing. Had there been ten tzaddikim in Stom, Hashem would have saved the place. 
when there's an outpouring of bracha, it's not just for the individual. It also is sufficient to encompass the place that he's in. And therefore the place where there's a tzaddik, a place where there's somebody who's learning, who's davening, who's serving Hashem, is a place where there's going to be bracha. That's when the tzaddik's in town. And when the tzaddik leaves town, so that no longer becomes the place on which bracha is going to shine. And we see this. We see this with all the obvious. That where they went, there was bracha. And when they left, that bracha was taken away. We see this in the life of Yaakov himself. Yaakov comes to Haran. And he meets the herds of men of Haran standing around the well. And he asks them, my friends, why are you gathering around the well in the middle of the day? And they tell it. It's because there's this enormous boulder which is covering the mouth of the well. And therefore, in order to move the boulder, it needs the combined efforts of all the shepherds of Haran. So they began together and it took time until everybody got together and each one lent their shoulder to the rock and slowly managed to push it off the top of the well. That way they could get water for their flocks. Now Rabbi said, did you ever wonder why there was a rock on the well? Once the rock is off, leave it off. Those same farmers, those same shepherds, after exerting all that effort to push the rock off, obviously had to push it back on again. Why would they do that? And the answer is, there was a water shortage in Haran. There was a drought. There wasn't sufficient water for everybody. And therefore there was the hashash, the worry, that somebody might try and steal extra water. The darkness of night, when no one else would notice, they might steal water for themselves. And therefore the ingenious solution that the people of Haran came up with was we're going to block the water. We're going to put such a big rock on the top of the well that nobody is able to take off the rock. It can only be done by everybody together. And yes, it wastes hours every day to gather everybody to move the rock off and to put the rock back. But that way our water is safe. And when Yaakov Avinu arrives, then we don't find after that incident that they needed to move the rock on a daily basis. The Midrash points out the bracha came with him and the water wasn't plentiful. They had no further need of the rock. This was so obvious that even a hardened cynic like Lovan had to admit it. And he tells Yaakov, he says, I've worked out that Hashem blessed me because of you. He also had to admit, it was so obvious Hashem's blessing. This was something unique, something miraculous. And he had to give the credit to Yaakov. Because when the tzaddik serving Hashem in a place, then in that place there's going to be much more of a divine flow of Rach. There's another beautiful Chazal about this point too. We know that Leah, Lovan wanted to trick Yaakov and give him his daughter Leah. But for that, Lovan needed the participation of the people of Haran. That they'd go along with the deception. So Chazal said he called them all in. And he says to them, Yaakov wants to marry Rachel, I want to give her Leah. He says, people of Haran, 
it's in your interests to help me do this. Because if Yaakov is, has the wife he wants, he's going to leave. And then we're all going to suffer. Much better you help me cheat Yaakov. That he marries there and will remain here another seven years for Rachel. Because that way the bracha will remain for seven years too as well. So that's the third aspect. When there's a tzaddik in sound, so there's more bracha. That's the height of the town. The light of the town is the beacon of Torah which shines for every tzaddik learning Torah. The beauty of the town is the chesed that people do for each other. And the hoid of the town is the bracha that gets showered with in response to the avodas Hashem that the tzaddik is performing. And when the tzaddik's not there, these things get lost. So then even if nobody knew the tzaddik's left, but his absence is very noticeable. Rabbi said these three things are not random. The Mishnah tells us on three pillars the world stands. On Torah, on Avodah Hashem, and on doing Chesed. On Shleshet Varim O'Elem O'Emet. On Torah, on Avodah O'Gminus Chasadim. These are the three aspirants, not just of the world, but the three pillars on which, on which each tzaddik stands. And if a tzaddik combines all three like we find by Yaakov Avinu, then he's the pillar on which the world is standing. And that's a pasuk. The pasuk says, Tzadik is Saydaidam. The Tzadik is the foundation of the world. We saw the world stands on three pillars. Did you ever wonder what those pillars stand on? And the answer is, those pillars stand on Akadish Baruch. He is the one supporting the world. But he's supporting it through those three areas through its Torah study, through its Chesed, and through its Avodah Hashem. And the tzaddik who symbolizes all three. So the place that he lives in is a place which is a place which is supported by Hashem. It's a place where there's Torah. It's a place where there's Gmurus Chasarim. It's a place where there's Avodah. And when the tzaddik leaves, then that place loses its significance. The spotlight moves elsewhere. It follows where the tzaddik has moved to. And we see this in history. Any place where there were tzaddikim, that place became a focal point in the world. And when the tzaddikim left, so then it returned to its former status of insignificance. When the Torah was in Babel, Babel was the world empire. Was it when the Torah moved to back to Paras? Paras became the world empire. When it came back to Israel, so then the, the sense of the world empire is focused on Israel. Because where the tzaddik is, is where there's light and there's beauty and there's height. Where the tzaddik is, is where the pillar is that holds up the world.